I never say never. My bikes never get put away. They just sort of linger until there's there's usually a day or two, even in December and January, when you can nip out. You know, usually after a heavy snowfall, the temperature drops, the roads get cleared, they dry off because there's you know the salt's been on them and stuff. And then you know I don't care about snowbanks as long as the road is dry. So I'll I'll be out riding. I can dress up nice and warm. And anyway, you know. People seem to love that shit when you're riding an old bike around next to snowbanks. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Motorcycle Men podcast. This is episode 264. And as you just heard, joining me today is Nick Adams, all the way from Canada, to tell us about his adventures and his books. And as always, Motorcycle Men Podcast is brought to you by Scorpion Helmets. They've been dedicated to offering high-quality, innovative motorcycle helmets and technical apparel at an incredible value. So if you need something like that, you go to scorpionusa.com. And Shinko Tires, regardless of the type of motorcycle you ride, Shinko Tire has the tires suit your needs. So go to ShinkoTireUSA.com and tell them that the motorcycle men sent you. When you're riding your bike, do you get those painful pressure points? Do you get swamp ass? Well, then you need to get yourself a wild ass seat cushion. That's right. Wild ass seats makes the greatest cushions in the world and you will have nothing but comfort when you are on your bike. So check out wild-ass.com and get yourself a wild ass seat cushion. And of course, Tobacco Motorwear, our wonderful sponsors over at Tobacco Motorwear. Out there in California, our friends Dave and Andrew are helping us out and keeping everybody safe on the road with wonderful riding gear. I love my gear from Tobacco Motorwear, and they're known for making the best-looking riding jeans in the world. They have multiple fits and styles of protective jeans for men and women, and you can find something that matches your style. And you've heard me say before, I love my California riding shirt and my tobacco riding jeans i wear them on every ride that's right and they're made right here in the usa so go check out tobaccomotorware.com that's tobaccomotorware.com and our listeners will get 10 percent off your order when you use the coupon code motorman hey your safety is worth it so check it out and the motorcycle man podcast is supporting david's dream and believe cancer foundation if you would like to help out and be a part of something that actually makes a difference donate today to david's dream and believe cancer foundation go to davidsdreamandbelieve.org to donate i will have links in the show notes and of course the gold star ride foundation the gold star ride foundation is helping families of fallen soldiers and making a difference in the lives of those left behind so if you'd like to be a part of a great cause and get some heartfelt miles in Go to goldstarride.org and learn how you can participate in the next Gold Star Ride. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Motorcycle Men Podcast. Here we are, episode 264, and joining me today, all the way from, where are you now? Um, Ontario, Canada. From Ontario, Canada, Mr. Nick Adams, our author. Wonderful. Nick, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? 
I'm very well. Thank you very much. Thank you it's for nice joining to be me. Here. So you're up in uh, the great white north, and as you told me before we began, you said you have just about an inch of snow on the ground, which I find unusual because I thought you would have had a lot more, more by now. Well, I live in the sunny south, um, just n- close to the end of uh, Lake Ontario. Oh, really? Just not far. From, yeah, not far from northern New York. So, oh, we're close. We're close to the border. So you're not too far away from me, actually. We're probably about six or seven hours apart. It's oh, not too well, yeah. yeah, not far. Now, is there really a sunny part of Canada? Uh, no, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> not this time of year, anyway. <laughs> I haven't seen it all. <laughs> okay. So why don't you tell us who you are and a little bit about your motorcycle self. Okay, well, I'm a 69-year-old former Englishman, as you can probably tell by my accent. No, I still haven't managed, I haven't managed to shed it after living here for 40 years, just <laughs> over 40 years. Um, I came over here um, and was hired by the provincial government as an archaeologist, mostly doing canoe survey in northern Ontario, and then working as a private consultant since then. And now I'm basically semi-retired. Beautiful. And during, during well, I, was, I, I grew up on bikes in the UK. Uh, small bikes, scooters, BSAs. I actually worked at the BSA factory for a little while. Really? Just as they wow. were going past. Yeah. Um, but when I got to Canada, I, I looked at the winter and I thought, yeah, that's not really for me. <laughs> um, I, I just didn't. I just didn't see myself riding, and of course, then kids got in the way. So it wasn't until 2008 that I started riding again. Wow! Okay. So I'm a born again. I'm a born again biker. Perfect. Welcome back. Now, you know what's funny is because you said you worked at the BSA plant. I'm surprised you don't have more of a a, a lean towards BSA. Ah. Uh, I had two BSAs. I had a, a C15 and a, a Royal Star 500 when I was in the, in the UK. But uh, I don't know. They they were just bikes that I rode. I wasn't particularly brand loyal to them. Right. Well, of course, the, the, right now they're a little more rare than what you currently ride, correct? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I do have an old bike from my from my early years of riding. When I was, uh, I think I was 16, I just passed my motorcycle test. And that, at that time, you could only ride a bike up until up to 250 cc's until you passed your test. Right. But I, I bought a, a 1950 Panther, a 650 single, the old sloggers that used to drag sidecars around. And, of course, my parents said I couldn't have a bike at home. So I rented a garage and fixed it up a little bit. And, <laughs> you and found my buddy a- and I went up to you found a loophole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I abandoned that one by the side of the road in Scotland. But that, <laughs> that's kind of a long story. <laughs> so what are you riding now? Well, I should say that. Well, I know you have a slew of bikes, I believe. So based on what I've heard in your books. So why don't you tell us what, you're, what you got? Okay. I've, I've, uh, my main squeeze is a 1972 Moto Guzzi El Dorado. And that's the one that sort of got me back into riding in Canada. Mm-hmm. I've got a 1974 750S Guzzi, which is sort of a factory uh, cafe racer. It's actually a very rare bike. Um, I have a 1976 Motoguzzi Convert, which is an automatic with linked brakes. 
Um, people roll their eyes when you say it's an automatic, but in fact, it's it's really delightful to ride. Um, I have a ghastly 1986 Suzuki Cavalcade. It was Suzuki's uh, Suzuki's attempt at uh, to take some of the the market share away from Honda Goldwings. They failed miserably. Right, and so you you I, ended I up with it. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a low mileage bike. It's really, it's actually an excellent bike, but I think of it as a, sort of a, a late 1960s uh, Dodge Polera. Yeah. It's that kind of a, <laughs> it's that kind of a thing. It's that kind of color too. Yeah. Sort of a, a goldy beige. <laughs> but it's a great bike. <laughs> so, um, you, so you're not, so you're not in in it for the looks. No, <laughs> no, my bikes, my bikes definitely, uh, they have to work. They have to be practical. So which one um, do you ride the have, most, though? Uh, probably the 72 Eldorado. Yeah. No, why In why fact, I, without question. No, no, why is that? Uh, it just, it was the bike I bought when I first started riding again here. And it's, I've been all over the place with it. Um, I know it like the back of my hand. You know, if anything goes wrong, I can almost always fix it at the side of the road. And, and believe me, things do go wrong. Um, and it, it's just, I don't know, it speaks to me. It's comfortable. It, uh, I can sit on it 12 hours a day without even thinking about it. And it just rolls along in a very satisfying way. Well, that's good. Well, let me, let's, let's tell you what, let's briefly jump into your, uh, your books. What, what, tell us about your books and what our listeners could expect to get from them. Well, I started writing articles mostly about my own bikes for the British uh, classic bike magazine, Real Classic. Oh, okay. And then I started writing trip reports about various trips for the Adventure Rider Forum and realized that I was compiling a bunch of stuff. So I would, uh, why didn't I just put them in a heap and put some covers on them, sell them as a book? There you go. So that's basically what I did with the first one. Um and people seem to like them. They uh, they like other people's riding experiences. Sure. And especially, you know, I, I my preference is for long gravel northern roads in the middle of nowhere, First Nations communities, Labrador, northern Quebec, that kind of thing. And the, there seems to be a bit of an appetite for that kind of... It's not really adventure because, you know, it's they're just rides. They're just... I just get on the bike and go. But um, people seem to like it. And I like writing about it. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'll go on a trip. Typically, I'll go on a trip and come back um, and spend the next couple of days writing about it, um, compiling my photographs and that kind of thing. Uh, so it becomes part of the pleasure and experience of writing for me. Okay. Now, do you, do you take a, a notes or do a diary along the way? Or is this just all recall from memory as, you, as you're done with the ride? I, I take a lot of pictures. Oh. Um, <laughs> that works. I mean, there's, ma there's many reasons I like riding on my own, and I almost always ride on my own. But one of them is I can stop whenever I like, and I don't have to think about the other guy. Right. This is true. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I stop and take pictures of scenery, the bike, myself, you know, anything that catches my eye. Now, do you put all these pictures that you take in your books? I have, I've only gotten your audio books. Yeah, so I haven't seen any of the print stuff now. Are you putting all these photographs in these print books? Uh, I put a few in, but the the print books are sold through Amazon. 
Yeah. And unless, uh, in order to keep the price down, I have to restrict myself to using black and white photographs. Yeah, makes sense. Um, the Kindle versions, they're also available in Kindle, and those oh. have color pictures in them. But um, even so, you have to be, you sort of got to balance um, file size. Yeah. It's basically what it boils down to. Right. All right. And of course, there's no pictures in the audio books. All right. Now, oh, how many books do you have out right now? Uh, five motorcycle trip books and a couple of other books about other aspects of my activities. Yes. I, um, believe it or not, I actually enjoyed... Uh, well, let's talk about the books. You have... Uh, and, and you'll have to excuse me if I mispronounce some of these things. Uh, <laughs> El Dorado to Klondike. Yes. Uh, which one was your first book? Uh, the first one was Beyond the Bypass. Uh, sorry, I, I'll extract that. Okay. Beyond the Coffee Shop. Right, the, right, right. Beyond the Coffee Shop. I, that was the first one I listened to. Then I went to Good. El Dorado to Klondike. Right. Uh, then I went Road to Missanabe. Yeah, Miss Nobby. Miss Nobby, okay. Close. Oh, close. close. Uh, and then I did Beyond the Bypass. And yeah. then I went, actually, I'm English. Oh, good. Yeah. So well, I hope you like that one. I, I liked them all. I enjoyed I enjoyed <laughs> all of them. <laughs> they were very good. good. Um, I, I, I believe it or not, I think I would have to say of all, now I love all motorcycle-related books, but the one I actually think I really enjoyed the most, believe it or not, was actually I'm English. I'm not, well, I shouldn't say I'm surprised. I enjoyed doing that one a lot. I, as you could obviously know, I enjoy long-distance hikes. Yeah. And and it was nice throwing in a couple of uh, motorcycle chapters there from was it renting bikes in the UK after doing the hikes. Right. It just made a perfect balance. Because February, is, February, March isn't probably the best time to be riding in the UK. No, probably not. But uh, you probably picked that up from, <laughs> from, from the one little story. Yes. Uh, you I do don't I, think I've there, ever been that cold. No. There is another book you have, which is available on uh, Amazon and on Audible as well. Well, I don't know. It's not on Audible. It's uh, Archaeology, Life in the Trenches. Yeah. Uh, now I, I have uh, I have yet to get that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm not so sure I want to go that way. <laughs> well, it's it's not a textbook. Let me tell you, no, it's, okay. uh, um, all my dark secrets are in that one. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's really just a, a sort of a personal um, journey through a, a career in archaeology. Wow. And, you know, I'm the kind of archaeologist that never gets it in in the papers. Never on TV, you know. We're just doing in the field, doing the grunt work, um, doing the kinds of archaeology that takes place before big developments occur. Oh, I see. I see. Have you, it's not very sexy, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> Have you ever found anything really cool though? Um, well, in in the UK, I worked on Anglo-Saxon burials where the people were buried with, you know. Um, Knives and spears and swords and and uh, the women were buried with jewelry. Wow! And, okay, that's uh, pretty cool. And that kind of thing. Wow. Those were cool, but sometimes the uh, the coolest stuff is the most unexpected. Yeah. Like on, on one local site around here, um, we found part of a smoking pipe, a, a native smoking pipe from the 15th century, Ooh. that had a beautiful little um, uh, tree frog in. Bolt, uh, molded around the side of the bowl of the pipe. Oh, cool. And to me, that was just one of the most delightful things I've ever found. 
Have you ever found a buried motorcycle? Never found a buried motorcycle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you like how I, tur- I turned that whole thing right back around to bikes? That was pretty good. I'm even impressed Very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, talk, let's go back to the bikes again. So, so yep. why Moto Guzzi? Uh, total accident. Really? I mean, back in the six, back in the late sixties, early seventies, I'd seen you know motorcycle reviews in magazines, and you know that there was one picture I can still visualize of that big V-twin engine sticking out like a pair of uh, Prince Charles's ears, um, and I just thought that thing looks so incredibly robust and industrial. But of course, the price of the things in those days was astronomical. It was about. I think the price was about twice what you might pay for a, you know, a Norton Commando or a, a really? Triumph Triple. Wow! So you know they're totally out of the question. But then, when uh, when I started looking at bikes again, the first one that cropped up was this '72 Eldorado, and I thought, "Yep, that's for me." <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts, huh? No, no question. Okay. It took a little work. But, you know, I don't think Motor Guzzi are the best bikes in the world or anything stupid like that. They just, they do the job. Um, they have their problems. They have their issues. But, uh, but you know them. I know them. And, and one of the excellent things about them, well, there's two excellent things. Firstly, almost everything is still available, even for the old ones. Oh, okay. uh, buying, buying parts is no issue at all. And secondly, the, the owner support groups... Um, all over the world incredible people will go out of their way if they've got a part that you need they'll ship it to you from new zealand or wherever it happens to be oh okay and uh so it's it's like you're riding with a with a complete uh, roadside repair kit just sort of attached to your cell phone now other do you ever go to motoguzi dealerships and themselves to get the parts you need or is everything you do virtually through these uh, user groups yeah um there's a couple of companies in the States. There's uh, MG Cycle in Wisconsin and uh, Harper's Motor Guzzi in Missouri uh, that I buy parts from. And other than that, it's just other people that happen to have, you know, spares. But okay. really, um, even, even well, almost, you know, I, I say down to the last nut and bolt, it's not strictly true, but pretty much everything you need is available. Oh, that's great. So, so now you have the 72, the 74, and the 76. No, yep. which which one has the highest mileage on it? Uh, the seventy-two. The seventy-two. Okay, how many? Yep. I'll, I'll use kilometers. Do you have on that? Oh, it's actually in miles. It is in it miles. Must have been an Ameri- <laughs> it must have been an American bike at some point in its life. Okay. I bought it at uh, thirty-seven thousand five hundred, and it's now got uh, just turning over one hundred nine thousand. I think. Wow, that's that's impressive. That's impressive. Oh, wow. So now let's talk about your adventures. Now, all of your adventures take place on your 1970s Motoguzis. Uh, Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Now, have you used all three of them throughout all of your bikes, or was it like one bike for a specific book, et cetera? No, they're throughout the bike, throughout the books. Uh, there's there's another couple of bikes as well that I've uh, I've had over the years that I no longer have that, that are in the books as well. Oh, okay. One was a... One was a single-cylinder Nuovo, Nuovo Falcone. Oh, yes. Is, uh, yeah. And the other one was a Quota, which is sort of a, an early ADV bike. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, how much 
of a challenge was it for you to be doing these rides on these 1970s bikes? I, I don't see it as a challenge at all. I'm, I'm an absurdly optimistic person. <laughs> so well, well, that's good. <laughs> I'll set off with a bike that I know has some problems and just figure I'll fix it on the, you know, figure out if it becomes a problem, I'll fix it on the way. Yeah, but doesn't that give you this like never ending sense of uh, anxiety or concern over your machines? No. No, no really? I, I, yeah, I, they don't, it doesn't bother me at all. I, I actually, I, I've said this before and people think I'm absolutely mad, but I, I, actually don't mind when i break down in the middle of nowhere really there's, there's you get that oh shit moment <laughs> and from there you have to then figure out what you're going to do about it and it's it's sort of well it lets you know you're alive yeah. you know so <laughs> i guess it would <laughs> where's where's the fun in in jumping on a bike and riding you know a thousand miles with nothing goes wrong you know, <laughs> yeah, well, that you know, seems worthwhile. I think that I, I don't know. From for me speaking, for me, I think that would be like pretty enjoyable, actually, <laughs> to know that your machine is not going to let you down at any time. But I mean, did, did you ever think or, or 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 expect while you're riding that I have a funny feeling something's going to go wrong? You know, you could uh, the machines telling you something's not right. I mean, do you ever have that? Some, sometimes it happens, but I mean. <sighs> Short of some catastrophic, catastrophic failure, uh, like you know, a crankshaft busting or something, those bikes are so robust and simple that it's always the little stuff. It's an electrical issue, or it's the carbs have got some crap in them, or you know, and those things can be fixed at the side of the road. Sure. I mean, sure. I I carry a pretty comprehensive toolkit with me. Right. Um, and not, it, you know, it sounds like I'm a good mechanic. I'm not. I'm a lousy mechanic. <laughs> But most stuff I can usually figure out eventually right, you and get rolling again. You're not one of these mechanics that when you're done, you have a leftover part. You don't, you don't not like that, right? Not that I'm telling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from what I gather from your books, and, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like nearly all of your travels took place on dirt or gravel roads. A lot of the time. I mean... I tend to talk about that more in the books because that's um, what interests me and what other people find interesting. I mean, inevitably, there's many, many miles to get to some of the places where um, those gravel roads start. Mm -hmm. Well, I've, uh, as vast as Canada is, I imagine you have significantly more of that than we do here in the States. Uh, possibly I'm, you know, I, I would maybe down in the Southwest, uh, it, it'd be more analogous to, to where it is, what it's like here. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, there are some big, uh, Northern roads where, um, you know, the gravel roads just go on for a long way, but, um, eventually they stop, you know, there's a, there's a Northern limit to how far the roads go. Yeah. I can imagine. Now, as far as it goes for your fuel, uh, I mean, how how is the how's the fuel mileage on these motoguzis you're riding? I usually get around, well, in American terms, probably forty to the gallon. Really, that's good. Forty, 40 to the U.S. gallon, but um, I always carry a couple of extra, you know, like uh, what would it be, two and a half gallon jugs on the back of the bike. Oh, okay. So I know that you know if the distances between gas stations are too far, then at least I'm covered. Okay, and uh, how big is the tank on the Motoguzis? It's, uh, I think, on the Eldorado, it's 21 liters, so what's that in gallons? I haven't got a clue. 
<laughs> well, if you give me a second, I'll call up my uh, conversion thing and I'll tell you. <laughs> um, let's say five or six. I don't know. Something like that. Okay. It's enough to get. I can get a good 200 miles out of it anyway. Oh, good. Good. That's, yeah. that's decent. Now, in all of yeah. your travels you know, throughout all of your books, well, with the exception of the hiking book, which one stands out most in your in your mind with regard to the adventure itself and or just the bike? Uh, I think I thought about this a little while ago, and I was thinking probably the, my trip across Labrador in 2012 to Newfoundland stands out the most. Yeah. Because at that time, the Trans-Labrador Highway wasn't paved, or most of it wasn't paved. So about 800 miles of it were rough gravel and hard-packed dirt. Right. Um, wow. Since, since then, a huge percentage of it has been paved, and it's now gorgeous blacktop. Um, but at the time that I rode it, it was uh, it felt like quite an adventure. There's, there's something, for me at least, there's something about being on a gravel road that feels that much more adventurous and isolated than on a paved road i mean the landscape to either side of the road is the same whether yeah. it's paved or gravel but there's just that sense of of uh, of just being out there a little further when it's when it's not a paved road right because now you have to concentrate a little bit more because oh you, you got a, you got a moving surface under you you certainly have to do that yeah there's no uh, there's no room for speeding right for sure <laughs> now the trip to, to newfoundland uh, I've never been to Newfoundland, so how that was, that's a pretty far trip from Ontario uh, to there. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think that total trip was about just under seven thousand kilometers. So what's that? Four wow. and a half thousand. Yeah, something like nice. that. Wow! And how, many, how uh, long? How long did that take you? I think it was seven days. Really? Wow! You're moving. Yeah, maybe maybe six days. I, I can't remember. The, the reason it was short was because, um, well, towards the end of the... Well, I, while I was still in Labrador, I started getting a horrendous toothache, um, oh. yeah, which no, ultimately ended up in a canal. <laughs> <laughs> so when I... You know, from Labrador, you cross over onto Newfoundland, and then I rode down the west coast of Newfoundland down to the ferry that hops you back across to Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. And I got to... Uh, I got to the ferry dock in Nova Scotia at 2.30 in the morning. I thought to myself, well, what am I going to do now? There's nowhere to sleep. There's nowhere open. So I just started riding. 22 hours later and 1,000 miles later, I was home. (laughs) And you did this in the dark on a gravel road. Uh, The first half of it, for sure, yeah. Yeah, On a gravel road. And actually, my... my, uh, No, no, that was all paved roads. Oh, okay. Yeah, that part of it's all paved. But uh, I didn't have a... uh, my high beam had gone, so I was just just on low beam, and it's like waving a candle in front of the bike at the best of times. <laughs> That's bad. especially with the nineteen seventies Moto Guzzi headlight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, how did the Guzzis handle on those roads? Did you change out the tires to uh, accommodate the type of surface you were riding on? I, I ride on uh, the Duro tires. They're dirt cheap, and they're a little bit. Um, they're like an old um, mud tire, I suppose. They're, they're not. It's not an aggressive tread, but it's it's more than a road bike tread. Okay. And the reason I use those is they're dirt cheap. They're about uh, sixty bucks Canadian, so like fifty bucks US. Wow. Uh, Ago, wow. they don't last very long, but they're you know they're dead easy to get. <laughs> uh, and they, they 
they're made in the right size, of course. Well, that, that's, big that's, that matters. That matters. Do you run with yeah. tubes? Yes. You do. Okay. So I mean, it's like, that gives you a little bit of extra. Uh, did you have many flats? Uh, I think on the road, in all the times, all my trips, I've had two or three flats. Wow. And you changed those but, right you there. Know, I mean, I, on one of your books, in fact, right on the cover of one of your books, uh, Road to Misanabi. I'm never going to say that right. So let's just, <laughs> but yeah, the picture of your, uh, on your bike on the, on the cover of that book shows the wheel is off. That's the, uh, Nuovo Falcone. That's the 500 single. And that road is, it's called the North road and it's way the hell up in Northern Quebec. Um, that was <laughs> the big problem there was I ra I rode for far too long on the tire. I thought I was, and I thought I'd ruined the tire. So I did all sorts of stupid things like filling it with uh, spruce boughs and, and such like to give me a little, a little more distance to get along. But in the end, I, I chickened out and, and phoned a friend and he drove uh, a thousand, well, over a thousand miles to come pick me up, which was pretty amazing. Right. But I did. But, it's no. funny you mentioned that. I, explain what you did, because when I heard that, when I was listening to the audiobook and I heard you doing this, I was like, "What?" So explain what you did to that tire to get. I the took work. the wheel off. Okay. I took the wheel off and I cut down some. I think they were. Uh, oh, I can't remember which type of tree. Anyway, some fir tree, some pine tree type mm -hmm. uh, branches. And just jammed them into the tire. Uh, I'd read somewhere or heard somewhere that you could you could make a sort of temporary fix by filling up the tire with with branches and sticks and things. So that's what I did, and I put it back on the bike, and it worked okay for about the first twenty miles. But then after that, it, the bike was just slewing all over the road. There was no way to control it, so I had to I had to stop. So, and and you did did you replace the tire or just put a new tube in? Uh, when I got home, I ended up replacing the tire and the tube. But let me tell you, the when you do that, it makes the most fantastic mulch. <laughs> but all, all, all those sticks and twigs and, and branches are just being ground to a fine pulp. And, and they just poured out of the, the tire when I got back. Wow. Okay. I think you, so you, did you save any of it? No, afraid not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I should have put some in a little jar on my on my. Uh, yeah, you know, put keep it on your desk, and yeah, just you know, a little memento of, of your travel and what you did. Uh, yeah. So let's. I want to talk a little bit about uh, your uh, beyond the bypass. Now you had yep. you had bypass surgery. Yep, in 2017. And how did that hold some fear over you for the longevity of your riding days? Uh, again, I have to come back to this being ridiculously optimistic. Um, I knew that uh, I knew that I wasn't well. It, it came on fast. I, from being, you know, hiking lo massive long distances mm -hmm. and no trouble all day hiking with a full pack and all that kind of stuff, I was having trouble walking back from the site we were working on to the van, you know, like 200 yards, and I'd have to stop halfway there. So I knew things weren't right. And my dad had died at age 51 of a heart attack. Jeez. So I thought, well, I'd, I'd better go and get myself checked out. Mm. So it's a normal thing, you know, stress test on the treadmill, angiogram. And I was thinking, I'll just get a couple of stents and I'll be good to go. But nope. 
uh, I had three arteries blocked, 80, 90, and 100%. Wow. So uh, so there was no question that I was in for the zipper. But I, again, I just assumed that everything would go fine. Good. And that, you know, it'd be a matter of just healing properly, and then I'd be back on the bike. Hmm. How long did they tell you before you could get back on the bike after the surgery? Well, uh, because they... They saw through your sternum, you, the two sides of your chest are sort of floating around, not connecting with one another. So it takes a while for that to weld itself back together. Mm-hmm. Um, usually they say, don't lift anything over 10 pounds for the first three or four weeks. Don't open doors. Don't lever yourself out of a chair, that kind of stuff. But um, at about four weeks, I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I rode around the block on one of my bikes. And then... Uh, I got a good bollocking from my wife. I was going to ask you, did you get hollered at? <laughs> <laughs> well, she came in the door and saw the stupid look on my face, and, and uh, there was no way I could avoid telling her. So <laughs> so I promised that I wouldn't get on it again for a little longer. Right. I, I managed to last another couple of weeks before I went out on the bike. But that was probably too soon. Yeah. I sh- you know, other, Really, people shouldn't try that kind of thing until at least a couple of months have gone by. Right. So the doctors gave you a clean bill of health and off you went. Yep. Now, uh, how old were you when that took place? I was, uh, what's there now? 69 now. That was 2017, three years ago. Oh, okay. So not long ago. So 66. Okay. And uh, and all's well then. You're back to normal. Now, was that, so was that the last book you did? Audio book? That was the penultimate book. Or the, the one before last. Since you're in a primarily an American audience, the treatment I got was fantastic. Uh, doctor's visits, tests, equipment, surgery, hospitalization cost me absolutely nothing. Never in my whole life will I pay enough income tax to pay for the cost of that surgery. Don't, don't discount socialized medicine. Right. Okay. Exactly. Preaching over. Let's get back to motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now you're, yep. so you're Brit and you're living in Canada. But you did make a return trip to, uh, in one of your books, which was actually I'm English. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Actually, I've been back quite a few times. Um, and usually what I've done is I've, I've organized myself uh, a long distance hike. There's, there's hiking trails in Britain that go from all over the place. I mean, hundred, hundreds of miles long. So I go and I'd hike for a couple of weeks and then I'd rent a motorbike for a couple of weeks to ride around on. And I'd always choose something that sort of interested me. Like on two occasions, I rented Royal Enfield Bullets, the 500s, just because, you know, it just just seemed like the perfect bike for bumbling along right. back roads in the UK. And then more recently, um, I rented a V-Strom, a 650, just 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 for a little more power. But oh, wow. um, nice, very nice. <sighs> I've thought about flying my bike, one of my bikes over, but unless you're going for a couple of months, the economics of it just aren't there. Yeah, I was just going oh, to ask you if you ever wish you I had mean, one of your goozies with you. You know, there are enough um, yeah. crazy Moto Guzzi fanatics over there that, that know my bikes and know me that, uh, you know, it would be an entertaining thing to drive around and drop in and see a few people. But, but you know, it's a couple of thousand right. bucks each way. And you can you can rent a bike wow. uh, for a little bit cheaper than that, especially if you go for the bargain basement bikes like I do. 
You know, when I hear numbers like that, it makes me wonder how some of these other uh, global motorcycle travelers, how they could afford that to ship their bikes around like they do. It just amazes me. Well, I guess the ones like, uh, well, Itchy Boots and some of the the other more famous global travelers uh, making good money from from their videos and their various performances. And good luck to them. I think that's great. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, you know, it takes it takes cash to move a bike around the world. Wow. That's impressive. Wow. So now let's talk about your, you have a new book out now. I do. And Riding in the Time of the Plague is what you call it. Is this, and this is like apparently rediscovering your roads in Ontario. Yeah. Well, this year, obviously, you know, we've all been a little bit uh, constrained about what we can do and where we could go. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Ontario, by about March, we were being thoroughly uh, requested, not uh, <laughs> we weren't required, but we were certainly being strongly requested to stay home as much as possible. Right. And, and, and frankly, it didn't feel right just getting out on the bike and and going wherever I felt like, even though, you know, I wasn't going to get pulled over by the cops or anything. So instead of going on some of the longer trips that I've been hoping to do, I thought, well, I'll concentrate on exploring within a day's range of home. Um, In the area that I live in, there are are a lot of what are called colonization roads. They're the the roads that were laid out um, basically by the British government to attract people into the interior of the country. So in the 1820s, 1830s, they'd lay out these winding little roads, um, often into places that uh, nobody in their right mind would ever think was suitable for farming. (laughs) The idea was they would attract people in there for farming. And many of these roads really never became adopted um, as main you know, as, mo- as modern roads, as recent thoroughfares. So they right. exist as, as narrow gravel tracks uh, all through the bush and through, you know, spotty farmland and mm-hmm. through some interesting little villages that used to be more important than they are now, that kind of thing. Okay. So I spent time investigating or, or riding some of these, which gave me a chance to bounce around on some rocks and generally have a good time. Oh, good. Was it as sati- satisfying as some of the other trips were? Uh, satisfying in a different way. I mean, there's nothing quite as as uh, as engaging as being, you know, thousands of miles from home and right. and just off on your own in the middle of nowhere. When you know that you're coming back to supper at the end of the day, it doesn't seem quite as adventurous. I bet. But uh, but it was it was fun. I did manage to get away for a couple of uh, three or four day trips up to northern uh, northern Ontario to visit a couple of things that I'd. I'd wanted to do. What's the furthest north you've been in Ontario or in Canada, period? The furthest north in Canada is the Arctic Circle. Right. Have you been uh, there on one of your bikes yet? Yep, on the 72 Eldorado. No kidding. Fantastic. That was, uh, that was last summer. Um, I rode across through you know, Manitoba and Saskatchewan and Alberta and then up through BC up to the Yukon and then... From the Yukon, you you sort of dip into the Northwest Territories just above the Arctic Circle. Wow, that must have been some ride. It was good. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was very pleasant, very enjoyable. 
Yeah. And, you know, needless to say, there were a few little hiccups along the way, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, do tell. Oh, well, the bike was... The bike, had, I just had... Um, I just had the engine rebuilt, you know, uh, new cylinders and new pistons after 100,000 miles, which seemed mm -hmm. to... Again, because, you know, I'm riding on gravel all the time, a lot of that dust gets in the bike and, and tends to wear things a little faster than it ought to. So it really... <laughs> It's what started out as a three or four day, just a little trip around northeastern Ontario. Well, I met some people in a coffee shop and they said they were going out to the Icefields Parkway. I thought, oh, well, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> so I, I just kept going. So it doesn't take much, later, does it? I was home. <laughs> doesn't take much, does it? <laughs> If you enjoy sitting on the bike, watching the yeah. scenery go by, it's it's easy to yeah. just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, the, the new book, Riding in the Time of the Plague, uh, do you plan on making this an audiobook? It currently is now available on Audible. Oh, it is? Oh, it great. is, yeah. Just be between the time that we spoke initially and and, uh, and now, it, it became available on Audible. Great. Excellent. Now, as far as it goes for uh, your next book... What do you have planned? I have no idea, to be honest. Um, there's a couple of trips on the horizon that I, uh, you know, I've, I'm intending to do. Looking on the map one day, I found a, a group of mountains in northeastern Quebec called the Otish Mountains. I mean, we're talking seriously the middle of nowhere here. But there is a road that runs up past Lake Mistassini, uh, past the native communi community of, of Mistassini. And goes on for about another, oh, probably 150 miles, 170 miles, and ends at a mine in wow. these Otish Mountains. It's a, you know, it's an ugly new gravel road, but it just seems like the kind of thing that I'd like to have a look at. All right. Any, any trips into the States? Uh, you know what? I haven't been across the border for quite a long time. Um, haven't really thought about it. I'm still sort of exploring the uh, the northern roads. Yeah. I, having it's funny having uh, having spent so much time in the bush when I was a younger man working for the provincial government. We did a lot of canoe surveys and, and such, like in what most people would regard as wilderness, and it just really infected me. And I find myself drawn back to that kind of environment. A lot of people would find it as boring as hell. You're basically riding along through a tunnel of trees. And, you know, you'll see Nothing the occasional lake and swamp and, and such like. But it just does it for me. Yeah. So those I'm still trying to make sure I've seen all the places I want to see north of the border. Sure. I mean, well, as I said, you know, Canada, you know, Canada is so vast. There's so much to see. It's, it's endless. And there's so much to see south of the border, too. It's just... Uh, a little more congested. It's well, it's just such a rabbit hole that I could fall <laughs> down if I wasn't careful. <laughs> this is true. Have you been out to Prince Edward Island yet? Uh, not on a bike. No, uh, you got to make that trip. Yeah, you like PEI? I've never been, but I, oh. I've, I believe me, I've done enough research about it to know how much I like it already, and I've never even been there. So. Well, really, coming back to Newfoundland. If you're thinking heading out that way at all, that's the place to go. Oh, really? It, you know, everything you'll read, you know, if you read any of the uh, motorcycle accounts on Adventure Ride or anything like that, they'll say Newfoundland. Every, it always lives up to everybody's expectations. 
Oh, wonderful. You know, many years ago, uh, I'm going to say probably back in 1978. Uh, no, take that back, like 79. Uh, I, f I flew into Goose Bay. Huh? Yeah, you, you're familiar? Oh, I've been through Goose Bay uh, <laughs> two or three times. I remember looking out the window <laughs> of the plane and seeing icebergs in, in the water. <laughs> and, uh, and when we landed, it was it's nothing but trees everywhere. And it was, yeah. I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. And I wondered what people did there. I'm not sure what they do there now. <laughs> uh, it's... It's it's a you know it's a typical northern Canada community. Um, yeah. Uh, and there's a an, a military base. Yes. Just up the road. Flew right into the, that military base. So that's where I uh, flew into. Yeah. So uh, your next book can be called Beyond the Plague. What do you think? Well, I like that title. Yeah, I might <laughs> steal that from you. <laughs> no charge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so how's the YouTube channel going? The YouTube channel. Uh, is just for fun. I mean, I, I, I'm, I haven't even got the numbers to monetize, even if I would thought of, uh, I was going to do it. Um, I just post stuff on the YouTube channel so that people that read my books or listen to my audio books uh, can see some, can have some visuals as well, so that they can see it's not all bullshit. Well, you know, I, I tell you what, it, it, just to throw some kudos to you, you've got 750 subscribers. <laughs> I mean, I mean, me out. You know, like, well, I've been, I've been watching your videos <laughs> now. My YouTube channel for the podcast only has like 120. <laughs> oh, well, I'll have to, I'll have to become a subscriber then. <laughs> so, but you know, I mean, I, it's a lot of work. Yes, it is a lot of work, but yeah. you're, I, I, lo I love your videos. I think they're, they're, they're both entertaining and, and, you know, informative. I, I like what I see. Now uh, oh, you're thanks. not. You obviously aren't using just the Eldorado in all these videos. No, I I try and mix and match. I you know I I figure every I I hate bikes that are just sitting. I, oh yeah. You know, and as you can probably you've probably gathered, I'm not terribly keen on prettiness either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the bike has to work. It has to be rideable, and it yeah. has to be rideable wherever I feel like riding. So uh, and. Yeah. Well, you've got four to choose from, so. Yeah, it's a, it's an expensive indulgence because yeah. um, up here we have to pay insurance on each bike separately. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah. But, so you know, it's an expensive hobby that you enjoy, and you, you, you actually, it's, it's not like you collect them and they just sit there. You use them. Yes, I like yeah. to try yeah. <laughs> it's good. Uh, so how can our listeners learn more about you and your books and your rides and your YouTube channel, everything? Well, um, probably the easiest thing to do is if, you, if you're interested in checking it out is to go to my website, which is www.nickadamswriting.com. And there there's links to all my various videos and, and audio, audio books and such like. Or if you want to go straight to the horse's mouth uh, at Amazon or Audible, the easiest way to find me is just type in Nick Adams Motoguzzi or something along those lines, and I'm bound to pop up. I typed in uh, Nick Adams Motorcycle. That's what I, no, actually, I typed in Nick Adams Canada, and that's what came <laughs> Oh, so, well, great. Yeah. Yeah, the only worth. thing is there's... A, there's another Nick Adams. Um, yes, there is. 
who writes political stuff, and uh, I knew that wasn't I'm you. about as far away from him as you could possibly <laughs> get. <laughs> but right now, you have uh, uh, six books, seven books available right now uh, yeah. on Audible.com that people yeah. should, should be checking out. Do you have a Instagram or a Facebook page that people can check out? Uh, Facebook page, uh, Nick Adams Travel Writing. Okay. You should go um, there and check that out. I'll put I'll put links to all of this in the show notes. So oh, thanks. Look yeah, Instagram. I've I've really not bothered with. Um, I just haven't got my head around it. <laughs> it's I'm just, old. It's Give just pictures. No, it's not quite all right. I'm <laughs> not far behind you actually, so don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> well, Nick, thank you very much for spending some time with me here on the podcast to talk about your books. Uh, don't go anywhere. I want to talk to you when we're done. Um, and I do hope that I can't wait to, to listen to the latest book. And um, what I ev- will eventually do is get the hard copies, and I'm going to send them to you so you can autograph them. Oh, right, well, that's wonderful. Go. I've, that's I've had a fabulous time. You're an excellent interviewer, and I've enjoyed this a lot. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. But thank you very much for being on the show. It was a lot of fun, and I look forward to talking to you more. Excellent. Thank you. All right, thank you, Thanks for joining me and Nick here on episode 264, where we talked about his books and his rides around Canada. Uh, Everything you need to know about Nick will be in the show notes and, of course, on the website. You can go check out his stuff. Really good. I I encourage you to get his books or certainly get the audio books. And they're all available now on Amazon and on Audible.com. Please uh, take some time to go check out all of our fellow podcasters, bloggers, vloggers, and YouTubers out there who do wonderful and great things for this wonderful sport and activity we take part in every time. Links will be in the show notes, and you can check out on our Facebook page and on our website. There are links to all these things. Well, thank you very much for joining us here on this podcast, this episode. And that's it for now, boys and girls. And remember, we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Enjoy your ride, kids.